So we are going into our literature feature now where we are looking at the book feature and uh, we've got Letlokhonola. I did promise that we're going to have one of the cheeky natives join us today and uh, Letlokhonola Mukharan is going to be joining us in a short while. She is the co-founder of Cheeky Natives and the, some of the books we're going to be discussing today, you may have heard of these books, you may have seen them everywhere in social media and uh, one of the books is none other than Dr. T's A Guide to Sexual Health and Pleasure. Um, we're not going to go we're not going to be explicit so don't worry about that Uh, we're going to try and keep it as tidy as possible but it's a bestseller and so it's definitely apt for us to discuss it Uh, nonetheless it is a a book that they have done a podcast on on their platform on the Cheeky Natives platform so if you want to go and see that podcast um, you can go to YouTube and so on he joins us now on the line to give us his roundup of uh, what he wants to review this afternoon a very good afternoon Good afternoon to you, Little Honolulu. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. How are you? We're good. I mean, we're leading up to the holidays and uh, people are starting to think about what books they're going to take with them, or at least even if they're staying at home, what are they going to be reading for the holidays? You want us to start mm-hmm. with Dr. T. Spock. Yes. So Dr. T is a guide to sexual health and pleasure. Mm. Um, it's a book that has been doing fantastically well, right? So it's almost on the fourth print in like three months, right? So it looks like it's like really, really popular. Mm. Um, it's a it's a medical book according to how it could be classified, but I think it's more than that. You know, we've come to know Dr. Tlaling as someone who's very engaging, even on social media, but more importantly on radio and television. But in this book, she really, you know, combines the Dr. T that we know, but also the Dr. T who studies medicine, right? The first section of the book deals with physiology, which is the idea of us in relation to our bodies. I think a lot of people don't spend time with our knowing our bodies. And um, she does that in the first section, speaking about our bodies, but also speaking about like different illnesses and how they can impact the way that we enjoy sexual pleasure. So, I mean, one of the things that I, my first instinct about this book is it needs to, somebody needs to talk to somebody to talk to somebody because I think this is going to be, it's important for us to have it in schools. I I think somebody needs to make a plan about how we're going to make this into available to to students, maybe grade, I don't know, maybe grade eight, from grade eight to matric uh, and, and literally become part of what they study at school because... You take for granted, as you said, that we do not have space and room to discuss the anatomies. We don't. We, mm-hmm. we, we, we kind of skirt about it. We, we are ashamed to talk about it. We give it different names. So people come up with all these funny, funny names in adaptation yeah. to what actually is. So nobody calls yeah. the thing the thing. You call it other things. You give it all kinds of names. And and I think to be quite serious about it, therein lies a problem, little Honola, because if a child mm. who has to then at some point explain what has happened to them in the front of a court of law mm. and cannot name it, it's problematic. Yeah. So and that's exactly what Dr. T says in her book, right? She says it is important for us to call anatomy you know, anatomy. Mm. We don't call an ear and uh, a listening device, we call it an ear. Mm. So why are we calling genitals, you know, these flowery birds 
or certain things, right, where we can just call them what they are. But it's important for us to call them what they are because when we go to a court of law, for instance, we are looking at evidence, right? Mm. And evidence to be admitted, we need to say this is the scientific word of this. But also, if we have open and honest conversations with our children about their anatomy, we, they will know that an, an adult person is not supposed to be touching me at this particular thing. And the reason is this particular thing. But also, in some instances, like, we need to also think about children's natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you, Pamela, that this book is really, really important. If we're thinking about having comprehensive sexual education in school, this should definitely be something that should be on the curriculum in order for children to, to know, you know, learn more about their bodies. But more important than that, it, it, it also deals with children with adults right so adults it's also people who are ashamed you know when you go to the doctor and the doctor asks you what's wrong you know you're so shy or you're not able to even as an adult person refer to a particular thing in its scientific word so i think it's making us all people more comfortable about their bodies but more important than that it also speaks about what i really loved about the book is the way that it deals comprehensively with consent you know consent has been the buzzword Mm -hmm. we've been talking about yeah consent is sexy and dr t says consent is not sexy consent is mandatory Mm -hmm. and consent includes more than a yes or no it includes condom usage it includes what sexual positions may be there it includes the extent to which the sexual position will be there so it's really like mandatory but very comprehensive right and i think a lot of us don't view consent in that way so for me it was useful to read this book and think yeah you know some encounters that i may have had may not have been fully consensual because we didn't speak about things to that extent what i also was i mean i love the fact that there is honesty about medical practitioners and their awkwardness Mm. Around mm-hmm. around the subject because she speaks about how nobody adversity takes them through the work that they're going to have to confront in sexual education. So they mm. they also even in medical school skirt around issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. So what more if a, if a medical doctor cannot address you and discuss with you your prostate issues? How much more are you able to speak to that person? I mean exactly. the discomfort levels. And I think that's what I'm saying. The book is for everyone, right? At different levels. Like I know there's been some doctors who have said, so thank you very much, Dr. T, for writing this book because there are things that I didn't know as a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. So I think the book for me is for everyone, for parents to have our conversations with their children, for adults to have conversations with each other and conversations with themselves and, you know, be more comfortable. You know, I know someone who came to me after reading the book to say, like, I'm no longer scared to the doctor mm. to go to the doctor anymore because now I'm more aware of some of the things that I can speak about, right? And uh, then for medical practitioners to also use it to, you know, sort of give a more inclusive, holistic, but also sensitive way of, of health care. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Often we may be sitting with questions that you wouldn't know who to ask you know you you just wouldn't know you you'd be sitting with this thing and to a point that google can't even assist you because it is Mm -hmm. personal to you and this is exactly what this book does it addresses issues that maybe have been taboo in your culture have been taboo Mm. in spaces where you thought you 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 can't even address those questions so it addresses all kinds of things it addresses things that you thought only you were thinking about yourself in your private thoughts so i just find this so liberating yeah and I think also what's important is that it's not alienating, right? Yes. So people may think, oh my gosh, it's a medical book. 
it's going to have this alienating language. It's not alienating. I think Dr. T really tried to make it and as accessible as possible yep. in order for you not to feel like, oh, there are these big jargon things that you don't understand. And that's what I really love about the book. And I think, you know, honestly, that all of us can find ourselves in this book. You know, the book wasn't written for a particular person, although it was written from a black woman's lens because, you know, Dr. T is a black woman. But everyone can find themselves in this book and is able to take something useful from this book. I was very surprised that a book like that hadn't actually landed on our shelves before. I mean, I don't know if that hit you, but... No, it did. It did. You know, Camilla, I was just thinking, oh my goodness, right? Like... We, but it also speaks about how we take for granted the things that are important to us, right? Mm. So I think it came at a moment where we're just like, oh, actually, we really needed a mm. book like this, right? Because a lot of these type of books are really medical textbooks, mm. so they only stay in medicine, and we never get an opportunity to read it. So I'm so grateful that Dr. T tried to break that barrier and be like, your house is just as important to you as the person who will be your healthcare provider. It's not dense. So anybody who's looking to read this book, you can get through it very easily. It's not dense. It is accessible. But it's also, I mean, it's their laughs, their moments that I thought were funny. <laughs> um, so, so, so it's 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 definitely a book that you could take, you know, on holiday and have a read and get informed, but also, you know, chuckle as, as she comes through in this book in a really wonderful way. All right. Yeah, Our next you. book is um, They Call Me Queer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, your your reasons for picking this book? So, I mean, uh, selfishly, I did a blurb for the book. <laughs> yes, yes. So I was the one who did the blurb. But I think it, it also allows us to think about queerness in a very uh, non-monolithic way. Yeah. So I think that when people think about queerness in this country, we only think about gay, right? Mm. And we lump everyone in that. Mm. But this book is really a book where you get a collection of essays, a collection of nonfiction, mm. a collection of poetry mm. coming together, compiled into one book. And here are black queer South Africans speaking about the experiences. You've got some mixture of academics, some mixture of 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 of, of poetry, where just, you know, queer people are just being themselves. And I think it's in a way to be like we're here and we're queer. And I really, really loved this book because there were moments of sadness, mm. but also moments of familiarity where I found myself and I was like, oh, I'm not the only one who felt like I didn't belong. Mm. I'm not the only one who was made to feel deviant in my sexuality. I think the, 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 the big thing for me with this book is it gives you insight as to, you know, number one, th- there is no such thing as this homogenous people that mm. fit into boxes because you feel like you've got to classify and box and and if you do that then it's better you you can't do that and i think this was such a clear depiction of that to say there's a lot of fluidity and and you can't necessarily get a yes and a no and a black and a white answer you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be expecting that Mm -hmm. from people Mm -hmm. because you're confused there's got to be room for difference and an acceptance and allowing for people to just be who they define themselves to be and I think also reclamation. I think that queer people have been pushed to the margins for a long time, mm. you know. Uh, and I feel like in more recent years, more people are boldly writing about queerness, right? Mm. We think about um, The Quiet Balance of Dreams, where um, Silo K. Decker wrote about queerness, right? And we haven't really seen the tracing of queerness as prominent in, in like writing mm. because of the environment that we live in. And I think this is like a really start to be like, you know, 
here are queer people in South Africa who want to claim their space. And in claiming their space, they're saying we are here and we're queer and we're here to stay. And I think also, in a way, you know, trying to find themselves and trying to find each other, it's it's sort of for me also the book is a creation of community. Mm. So it's a way in which people are able to come together and just reflect on queer lives, queer struggles, queer narratives, queer acceptance. I also think that it's important to say it's not only for queer people. So the reader doesn't have to be somebody that is... You, you, I can read it and not, and, and I think that was the intention, that it is for everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I wrote a review about it and I said, I, 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 I suspect that everyone can find themselves yeah. in there. So it is for queer community, but it's also for people who'd like to be allies and people who really would just like to, to, to know, mm. you know in, in some ways an extension mm. for other people who may, who may be different and who want to know. Okay, the next book is Black Tax, and this is also a collection of short stories, uh, edited and authored. Well, it was edited by uh, by Nick Mklongo. Your yes. your reaction to this book? I loved this book. Look, I, I mean, for me, Black Tax is important because we've been speaking a lot a, a lot about this buzzword, right? And Nick says in the introduction of Black Tax, he says, you know, in a way, I've brought these 25 South African voices together in order for us to tackle what this term means, right? What I thought was really useful about the book for me is that it wasn't monolithic mm. and homogenous. Mm. There wasn't one voice. Mm. There were people who were like, you know what, we hate Black Tax. We don't want this word. There were people who were like, we see the, the usage and why it was important for us to use this word, right? I thought for me particularly why it was important, it was the documenting of black experiences in the South African or Southern African context. It was different people thinking about like, you know, this thing that people have demonized as a bad thing has often been a very good thing because without the community's help and people pitching in, I would not have been where I am. You know, and maybe black tax becomes black tax when it's burdensome and when people want like, you know, iPhones and MacBooks and then they want you to buy for it. But when it's in terms of education, maybe it's not black tax. Maybe it's, you know, a helping hand. And, and I find that the intergenerational conversations were really interesting and how people mm. reflected on that. Um, mm. I think the eldest person here, the contributor, must have been Fred Kumalo and yes, his reflection yeah. On, on what black tax means and how even when they, you know, when you think you know how much has been sacrificed for you, sometimes you really don't know. You know, you, you think you know and you keep discovering as you go along, as you bump into somebody that you may not even recognize and then there'll be a story about, ah, did you know that we actually had gathered money for you to go to school? And you may never have mm-hmm. known it because nobody felt the need to tell you. I mean, I think even Fred was, um, in his um, contribution, was like, you know, he was having an intergenerational conversation with someone, yeah. and he heard this term black tax, yeah. and he just didn't understand what this was. Yeah. So it was like, what, what? Because from the generation that Fred comes from, you know, the community was to board each other, yeah. but it seems the more contemporary um, us youngsters are, are, you know, naming it as black text. But I also really like uh, Mohale Mashiko's mm. contribution because in Mohale Mashiko's essay, Mohale writes and says, you know, maybe we should call it non-performing tax. Mm. We think about it as a structure. We think about it as a 
you know, apartheid did certain things to certain people in this country, and these people now are not able to get where they are. So this non-fulfillment tax means that, on the one hand, the apartheid legacy was really bad for us. But also, on the other hand, because of the, you know, the democratic government is not able to get us to where we need to be, we still have these burdens that support us. I, I was, I mean, when I looked at uh, the, the entire text and I thought about it quite carefully, I'm astounded at how much I still learn about how the mm. system really was in place against us. I mean, constantly you keep seeing these things that you thought, oh, I thought I knew and I didn't, really didn't know. Um, yeah. You know, where, for instance, if you were a teacher and you felt pregnant, for argument's sake, you know, if you wanted your job back, you'd have to apply for the job back. And what that yeah. meant for an entire community, for families, um, mm. that pushes you completely uh, into the margins of society where there is insecurity and so on. And that was a system. So... As, as I kept reading about black tax, so much else came through, which I thought was so empowering for me as a reader. And I mean, some of the essays for me were, were um, you know, jarring mm. because they were so emotional. Mm. I remember one PLO's essay, which mm. was like, I read it afterwards and I was like, yo, this person is very, very emotional. Mm. And, you know, in some instances, I was like, I don't know if I agree. But I mean, it's, 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 it's also provocative mm. in that because of such an array of voices, like you can find debate, discuss, you know, really think for yourself, what does it mean for you when you use the term black tax? Because I think at the root of it, that's what the collection seeks to bring, yeah. is that we should have more nuanced and more uh, nuanced and in-depth conversation about this word black tax, because often we just use it as a bad thing, but have we thought of it as a good thing? And why are we calling it black tax? Mm. Like, why is everything that is considered bad black? Mm. What are why you reading couldn't at, it be white tax? What are you reading at the moment? At the moment, I'm revisiting House of Stone mm. by Novoyo Tuma, which is a historical fiction about Zimbabwe. Mm. The writing is exquisite. Mm. All right, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that next time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pamela. Absolute pleasure. who is one part of Cheeky Natives. They've got a lovely podcast. If you want to check it out, please do that. And uh, I'll recap just now in a short while what are the, the couple of books that he wants us to read. So one is Black Tax by Nick Mklongo. It's, it's a couple of short stories put together by Nick Mklongo. And another is Dr. T's A Guide to Sexual Health and Pleasure. Uh, this is Dr. Tlaleng Mufuking. And the other one, they called me queer and it's also a collection of short stories a collection of poetry and all kinds of wonderful literature there from south african queer people